Welcome to Education Matters, presented by the Public School Forum of North Carolina. I'm your host, Tom Williams. Anonymous reporting, safety app, school resource officers. Do you know how your children are staying safe while in school? Today, we'll continue our series looking at how to make our schools safer. Joining us to discuss this important topic is Robert Bo Trumbo, the Executive Director of the North Carolina Center for Safer Schools, and Dr. Will Chavis, Principal at Enlow High School in Raleigh, North Carolina. Before we tackle our main topics, we open with headlines, our quick scan of education headlines across North Carolina and the U.S. In a big development for the long-running Leandro suit on school funding, Judge David Lee signed a consent order last week that directs the state to meet its constitutional duty to provide all children in North Carolina with access to a sound basic education. The order details how the state has failed to adequately invest in our public schools and issues an imperative to do more to ensure that all of our students receive their constitutional right to an education that prepares them for careers and college. The order also directs the parties in the lawsuit to present a comprehensive remedial plan to make the state Leandro compliant, which is due by March 30th. The Governor's Commission on Access to Sound Basic Education has voted to adopt its own report on ways to ensure every child can receive a sound basic education. The commission was created by Governor Cooper in 2017 and worked to determine what would be necessary for the state to meet the requirements of the Leandro school funding case. The report includes recommendations such as improving teacher pay, expanding pre-kindergarten and scholarships for students, teachers, and changing the state's A through F grading system for schools. We're left without a reading assessment still with the testing program after a judge declined on January 7th to lift the stay that blocks iStation from getting a new three-year $8.3 million contract. As an ongoing legal dispute over the contract's award process continues, but later that day, State Superintendent Mark Johnson approved an emergency contract for iStation, a move that has sparked considerable controversy. The State Department of Information Technology questioned Johnson's failure to consult with the State Department of Information Technology prior to making that decision, stating that his department had ample time to contact DIT about the expiring iStation contract, while state technology officials are criticizing Johnson for his decision-making process, iStation will be kept in elementary schools for two more months using a separate emergency contract to give more time for the judge to reach a decision on the case. Remember, you can visit the Public School Forum website at ncforum.org, click Education Matters, and read more about each of the headlines, as well as other topics we cover each week. I'd like to welcome to the show Robert Bo Trumbo, the director of the Center for Safer Schools. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Well, tell us a little bit about the Center for Safer Schools and its purpose and its mission. So the center was established in 2013 uh, by a governor's order uh, that created a clearinghouse for resources, training, and technical assistance uh, for school public schools in, in North Carolina. Very good. I understand that the um, center does have a task force that's been in place. Tell us how that task force and the stakeholder voice is used by you at the center. So there is a, a, a task force that uh, is housed within the uh, Department of Public Instruction and, and it has representation across the board from uh, state school board uh, members, uh, local school board members, teachers, school psychologists, uh, law enforcement, parents, and students as well. So it covers the whole constituency of, of public schools uh, as well and, and provides them input uh, for safety matters as well. 
as the task force has started its work and continue work, what kind of things are part of the conversation? How are they uh, providing feedback that's helpful? Well, I think uh, the, one of the uh, initiatives was to get the task force up and up and going. You get it rejuvenated. Uh, so we've partnered with other state agencies to to look at other uh, redundancies that may be in place across the state, as well as uh, bringing in the mental health picture as well, based on studies that have been uh, conducted to where uh, the mental health picture has been uh, somewhat uh, blank, but yet we're filling it in. Very good. Um, I know in May of 2019, um, State Superintendent Johnson and the agency adopted the Say Something anonymous reporting um, system. Tell us what that is, how it kind of works, and um, its potential for positive impact in our schools. Well, the anonymous uh, reporting system was uh, a legislative mandate that required all public schools to, to uh, uh, enroll in an anonymous reporting system. So. Uh, we started rolling out uh, in increments uh, so that schools would have the gift of time of building uh, the back of the house features, which are basically teams that are assigned at the school and district level that would be the ones that process the tips uh, that come in. And what uh, the anonymous tip app provides is a voice to for those who, who may not have had the confidence or uh, the intestinal fortitude to, to provide a tip uh, for fearing that they may be a snitch or labeled anything otherwise. But uh, it gives a voice to those who may have been voiceless before and gives them an opportunity to provide insight as to what's going on in the school uh, safety-wise. And sometimes it's it's not always the, the active shooter scenario. It's uh, A lot of times it could be the self-harm scenarios that come in, uh, the school climate, the, the bullying that goes on, uh, as well as, you know, they, they'll report criminal activity as well. Can you kind of talk, talk us through, so someone wants to say something, what do they do? How do they access the anonymous tip line? And then what happens once that happens? So once the teams are built at the school and district level, then it goes down to the, uh, the student level to where they're trained on how to use the app, what signs to look for when they submit a tip. And then they, they have the opportunity to submit a tip either via the app, phone application, uh, a landline, or a computer. Uh, but most of them are using the app as, as what is customary for them to use these days anyway. Uh, but when they submit an app, it goes to a crisis center in Miami uh, that's staffed by crisis trained, crisis intervention trained folks. Uh, some have previous law enforcement, some have previous mental health professionals uh, that are there to, to triage the tip, uh, initiate a relationship with the tipster so that they're actually doing some of the work that uh, the schools, if they had this type of mechanics in place, it takes that burden off the schools. Mm. So when they triage the tip, they're going to classify it as either a life safety or a non-life safety tip. And the life safety ones are based on five criteria that they have to meet based on the information that the tipster is providing. So once that tip is put in place and once it goes through that original screening, then what happens? So once it goes through the screening process, the, the, cri the crisis center will forward that tip to the school and the district level teams that have been established. Mm -hmm. And those teams can actually see the conversations that's been taking place between the crisis center uh, and the tipsters so that they have situational awareness as to what uh, the tip's about, what mechanisms they need to put in place to, to provide some intervention. And then they can take the handoff from the crisis center real time. This is obviously a pretty big process to ramp it up. You started during the summer and here we are you know, halfway into this school year, but it's a huge state, 2,500 schools. Where is it now, Bo, in terms of deployment and 
how many of our schools and school systems, what grade levels of schools are involved. Tell us what you can about the details. So the grade levels are, are serving 6 through 12, okay. uh, and we're uh, about one-third way through, uh, but, but progressive pretty rapidly towards uh, uh, saturating the state for those that uh, are going to enroll in it. Um, the, the back of the house, the logistics part of it, uh, the rollout, uh, initially there was a concept that uh, everybody was under the impression it would be a, rolled out at the state at one time. Uh, that wasn't feasible based on the loads that the schools are processing from the education and curriculum side as well. So uh, we made a decision to do incremental rollouts so that uh, the schools and the districts would have an opportunity to, to build their teams. Uh, and the teams are the vital part of it because it builds a basically a threat assessment model uh, that can be in-house at these schools and the district level so that when they take uh, the, the, the tips, then the teams are usually made up of interdisciplinary folks that are from the mental health world, the SRO world, the administration from the schools. So you get a cross-pollination of talents that are processing and working as a team to process and intervene in these tips. And, and that's the beauty of this whole thing is it, it creates these teams in place and gives a backstop at the district level uh, and integrates, uh, you know, the mental health side mm -hmm. of things as well. Yep. I know we talked a little bit about um, the good news in terms of the schools have seen a decline in over the last four years in the reportable offenses, uh, but certainly having this app in place, how do these things play into the importance of the perception and the feeling of parent comfort about their kids going to school? I think it provides another asset for the undercurrent uh, of activity that goes in under the, in the schools. And then hopefully it would give them confidence because the parents can participate in the uh, the anonymous tip app as well. So they have skin in the game when it comes to providing information as well as, uh, you know, the, they're part of the tapestry that provides security for these schools as well. Yeah. And sometimes the, the, the PTAs of the world and uh, those folks are, are sometimes left in the dark. We're bringing them out of the dark and, and making them part of the, the safety equation that we're trying to build. So what kind of uh, vision do you have of where the center is going in the future and what does it look like down the road in the next couple of years? Well, the goal is to, is to, is to avoid some of the redundancies uh, and, and use the center as a clearinghouse uh, or coordinating uh, aspect of, of bringing agencies together, uh, but also reaching down to the school level and, and providing uh, a backstop uh, for uh, training resources uh, that that the schools can benefit from because not all the answers uh, come from Raleigh. Uh, some of the answers are already out there in the school districts. Is trying to to uh, link up the school districts so that they have something that another district may be able to use uh, and and bring those folks together. When you think about as the executive director of the center, kind of your biggest concerns. What are the kinds of things you're most find yourself thinking about? We've got about a minute to. Uh, well, the, the biggest concern I have is that uh, I, I really don't have a lot of control over a lot of things, mm -hmm. uh, nor do I want to, but the, the tip of the spear is at the, is at the local level, and, and we can't forget that, but we want to have our handle or, or our grips on the handle of that spear to help them uh, laser focus their way, give them any assistance we can to provide support to make these schools safer. Well, very good. Well, we'll look forward to having you back in the future and stay abreast of what's happening um, at the Center for Safer Schools. So thank you very much for being here. No, thanks for having me. After the break, we'll continue the discussion surrounding safety at schools with a perspective from someone who's in a school every day, the principal at Enloe High School in Raleigh, Dr. Will Chavis. But first, see if you can answer this question. 
Between the years 2000 and 2016, the percentage of public schools reporting that they have controlled access into school buildings increased from 75% to what percentage during this period? Education Matters is brought to you each week in part by Town Bank, serving others enriching lives. Welcome back to Education Matters. Did you correctly answer D, 94%? According to the National Center for Education Statistics, nearly all public school buildings across the nation now have some type of controlled access in place. Joining us now is Dr. Will Chavis, the principal at Enloe High School here in Raleigh, North Carolina. Thank you, Dr. Chavis, for joining us Thank today. You. We're Thank delighted you. to have you here and good to see you again. Thank you for having me. So for our viewers, tell us a little bit about Enloe High School. Enloe High School is an incredible high school. It's a um, National Magnet School of Distinction, um, hot off the press. We received that award last week. Um, we've got about 2,500 scholars that represent all municipalities within Wake County. So it's a truly diverse school uh, when it relates to race, social, economic background, linguistics. So it's a really a microcosm of the greater society. Um, and we have a GT, a gifted and talented and international baccalaureate magnet theme at our school. I know we could talk for hours uh -huh. about yes. the academic program right. and the athletics. Uh -huh. Tonight we want to kind of focus in on mm -hmm. school safety. Right. We know that it's a priority of yours and your right. team at the school right. and all of the Wake County schools, mm -hmm. but how do you see the key aspects of school safety working into your culture there? At yeah, I think the first thing is a philosophy on the fact that learning can't happen in a school if students don't feel safe. And when we think about learning and we think about the safety of students, we go, while the parts of keeping the campus secure is important, we also extend that to mean that the social economic or the social economic um, the needs of students are met, um, that we think about the physical, logical needs and the well-being and all the things that really make a student who they are mm -hmm. and what they bring to their, the campus each and every day. So when we're thinking about that and creating this climate, we want to be sure that we are tapping in and we know our students. We want to ensure that uh, we're intentional about the supports that's offered to our, our students. So we have multiple support groups. We have a comprehensive counseling program that really seeks to think about our students, the whole child, and how we can build supports and how we can think of students beyond just students in a classroom setting, but what perspectives and backgrounds that they bring uh, within the learning institution each and every day. I think a big piece of that um, is giving students an opportunity to have a voice within the school setting and how that can change and um, shift our culture within the school setting, especially in this day and age and in year 2020 when we have so many diverse needs and so many diverse students in our, our learning institution. How do we involve our students in the process? In addition to our other stakeholder groups, our parents and our teachers, and how do we work in collaboration and how do we calibrate our work together to, to really ensure that school is safe, um, not for just, you know, again, the, the structure, the infrastructure of the school, but also how do we keep it safe within the confines of the school, within each classroom, and what supports do we build to, to continue to lead and, and support um, our students in a, in a very important way and in a very um, intentional way, I should say. You mentioned in that comment about the student voice and the mm -hmm. student engagement. Right. Are there other than the informal structures and the right. culture that exists student to student, right. are there other things that you do to really try to make sure that they're 
is student leadership actively Absolutely. engaged in, in, in the school? Absolutely. A couple of things that come to mind is uh, we've worked in the last three years to create a student equity team. And that's representative of our student population. So when we say we have 2,500 students from all walks of life, our student equity team is made up of about 50 members. And we're very intentional that those 50 members represent the different student populations and groups within the school. So when we're meeting with these students, we're having a um, holistic view and approach as to what the experiences are of our students. And we get on topics such as safety in the school and, and how um, teachers and students can work together to ensure that we're, we're working together for a wholesome environment um, within the school building and in the surrounding community. Um, so our student equity team has been um, paramount to our success and in changing culture within the school, but really giving a platform for our students to have a voice to talk through some things that are happening in the school that may not be some things that we as the adults are aware of right. all the time. Right. I think the other thing is giving um, a voice to our students through the platform of student council and the charity ball work that we've done. And so this year our charity ball um, recipient was the Southeast Raleigh Promise. And so you think about safety in the sense of, yes, there's safety within the school, there's structures, and we've got the voices of our students to ensure that our safety is maintained within the school, but then it expands to the, the larger community. Right. And how is our safety protecting um, this new initiative within the Southeast Raleigh Promise? And how do our, our fellow citizens and peers um, ensure that they have a level of safety and support. One of the things that has kind of evolved in recent time, over the last 10, 12 years, is the role that school resource officers yes, plays, or SROs. Absolutely. How does that get realized at Enloe High? Right. So I think our SRO, and I've been in four schools now, and in every school I can say that the SRO has been an ally, has been a partner to the work that we're doing at the school, um, and is seen as someone that is a protector and a server of our, our student body and our community. Um, so the SRO works in tandem with the administrative team, um, conducting drills and, and uh, the necessary things that we need to do in order to, to be safe, but I think they're visible in the school. I think that plays a very important role that our students know like that not only is the SRO around to you know ensure the safety but they're also there to, to hear of any concerns or questions and are able to respond to that in a meaningful and direct way. You've got a pretty complex organization there right. at Enlo High. Uh -huh. um, in today's world of fast-paced social media, right. I kind of see it as a challenge right. and as a gift. It is. How, <laughs> how, do you, how do you help manage that? Or, Right. respond to it. Right. As a, as a challenge, I think in this day and age, um, we have a lot of folks that aren't using social media um, in the way that it was intended for. Um, there's a lot of miscommunication and a lot of misunderstandings that take place through the usage of social media. So it's important for us to train and educate students on the appropriate ways to use um, those sources and how to do that and to highlight important things as opposed to putting things into the cyberspace and not being able to take those things away. Um, so we, we have ongoing conversations with our students as uh, to the appropriate ways of using those um, sources. I think the, the positive through that, uh, go back to last year, March of last year, um, and Enlo was hit pretty hard with a vandalism tag uh, yeah. where there was um, there was hate messages that were written about our building. And so our students saw that and came back to the school the next day and came back to a school that was 
you know, vandalized with inappropriate language all mm -hmm. about the building, hate language of difference. Mm -hmm. um, and so our students, again, it goes back to student voice, our students want to have a community circle where we talk through why that is inappropriate um, and they use that platform then to create a social media campaign against hate. Um, and that was hashtag fighting hate in which our students took negative stereotypes and um, addressed those head on um, and, and gave a counter narrative to that particular um, situation that happened. And it's important because we wanna continue to write our story and that was not INLO, right? When that situation happened last year. So very proud of the work that the INLO students are doing and their voice and their agency and taking something that was very negative, using social media that oftentimes has a negative connotation right. and making that pretty positive and making a bad situation a good one. Okay, well we have been really right. privileged to have you, you here today. Thank you for the great work you're doing at Enloe High School and, and keep uh, the Eagles flying high. I will do, thank, thank you Tom. Thank you very much. All right. After this break, this week's final word, Over the past month, within the state educational and public policy arena, the biggest topic, other than our state leader's inability to pass a new budget, has been the emerging court actions requiring the state to meet its constitutional mandate to ensure every North Carolina child a sound basic education. While to some, the landmark 1997 North Carolina Supreme Court decision, known as Leandro, may appear to be solely a state education issue, However, it has profound implications not only for our current and future generations of children, but for the vitality of our business community, higher education partners, local boards of education, and our boards of county commissioners. To illustrate this, the recent West Ed report cited that every new high school graduate yields a net economic benefit to our state two and a half times greater than the cost invested in each student. At the heart of the matter is the public school forum's 33-year documented disparities of educational opportunities provided to our nearly 1.5 million K-12 public education students. Based on the current level of state funding and the immense variability of wealth across our 100 counties, in its simplest terms, our lowest wealth counties are taxing themselves at nearly twice the amount of the wealthiest counties, yet still generating significantly less revenue for their public schools. Last week, a significant milestone was reached when Superior Court Judge David Lee, who oversees this decision, issued the first in what is expected to be a series of court orders. The order says that the state, as the defendant and the plaintiffs, primarily the five low-wealth public school systems, agreed to the facts of the cage, which is that North Carolina has not ensured the provision of a sound basic education to each of its children. It also ordered all of the parties to submit an action plan within 60 days to address the seven requirements Judge Lee cited in the court order that would move us forward in becoming a Leandro-compliant state system of public schools. 
We need for each of us to have a vested interest in engaging at the local and state levels to ensure all students in all communities realize equitable educational outcomes. This is critically important if we are to have a future citizenry and workforce that can continue to create such a high quality of life here in North Carolina, all the way from the mountains to the coast. That's it for this week's show. Thanks for watching, and we'll see you next week.